There are more than 300 episodes of Listen to Sleep, all available for free because of the generous support of our sponsors. And while you'll never hear any ads after the story or meditation starts, you can get every episode ad-free, plus over 100 bonus episodes, all for less than the price of one cup of coffee a month by going to listentosleep.com and clicking on support. Thank you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or anytime. Well, we have been having a lot of rain out here in California this week. There's been some pretty bad flooding in some parts of the state, but up here on the mountain, we're doing okay. The creek has been a little crazy, but the real news this week was the young doe that I watched fight off a coyote down by the creek behind the cabin. I heard Bodie barking like crazy at something across the creek, so I went out to have a look, and I saw a big coyote. It hid under some brush, but a few minutes later, I saw it had cornered a young doe down in the creek, and the doe was fighting it off with its front feet. I took a video of it. If you want to see this brave little deer save itself against one of the top predators we have around here, you can find it on my Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, and there are links to all of those in the show notes. You can also find a link to it in my December-January newsletter, which I sent out this week. I just couldn't quite get it together to write the newsletter last month, so I made this one jam-packed with lots of good stuff and a free audiobook download. If you haven't already signed up for my free newsletter, 
You can read it and subscribe by going to the newsletter page on listentosleep.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. I want to thank Sarah, Patricia, Jen, and Eva for supporting the podcast by subscribing to the ad-free version this week. Your support is what allows me to be your bedtime storyteller and meditation guide. We have just about 600 supporters now, and I sure would appreciate it if you could help me reach my goal of 1,000 supporters by this summer. When you support the podcast for just $5 a month, you'll get every episode without any ads a day earlier, along with an extra subscriber-only episode every week. You can join on the website at listentosleep.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. Tonight's story is an old German fairy tale about a good princess and an evil queen. Let's take a deep breath in and out. Letting go of the day, feeling the weight of gravity pulling you deep down into the mattress. And another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to be. This is your time, quiet time. One more deep breath in with me. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. Gearlog, the king's daughter. One day, a powerful king and his beautiful wife were sitting in the gardens of their capital city, talking earnestly about the future life of their little son, who was sleeping by their side in his beautiful golden cradle. They had been married for many years without children, so when this baby came, they thought themselves the happiest couple in the whole world. He was a fine, sturdy little boy who loved to kick and strike out with his fists. But even if he had been weak and small, they would still have thought him the most wonderful creature upon earth. And so absorbed were they in making plans for him that they never noticed a huge dark shadow creeping up, till a horrible head with gleaming teeth was stretching over them. And in an instant, their beloved baby was snatched away. For a while, the king and queen remained where they were, speechless with horror. Then the king rose slowly, and holding out his hand to his wife, 
led her weeping into the palace, and for many days their subjects saw no more of them. Meanwhile, the dragon soared high into the air, holding the cradle between his teeth, and the baby still slept on. He flew so fast that he soon crossed the borders of another kingdom, and again he beheld the king and queen of the country seated in the garden with a little girl lying in a wonderful cradle of white satin and lace. Swooping down from behind, as he had done before, he was just about to seize the cradle when the king jumped up and dealt him such a blow with his golden staff that the dragon not only started back, but in his pain let fall the boy as he spread his wings and soared into the air away from all danger. That was a narrow escape, said the king, turning to his wife, who sat pale with fright and clasping her baby tightly in her arms. Frightful, murmured the queen. But look, what is that glittering object that is lying out there? The king walked in the direction of her finger, and to his astonishment beheld another cradle and another baby. Ah, the monster must have stolen this as he sought to steal Gearlog, cried he. And stooping lower, he read some words that were written on the fine linen that was wound round the boy. This is Grithari, son of Grithari the king. Unfortunately, it happened that the two neighboring monarchs had had a serious quarrel, and for some years had ceased holding communication with each other. So instead of sending a messenger at once to Grithari to tell him of the safety of his son, the king contented himself with adopting the baby, which was brought up with Gerlog, the princess. For a while, things went well with the children, who were as happy as the day was long. But at last, there came a time when the queen could no more run races or play at hide-and-seek with them in the garden, as she was so fond of doing. But lay and watched them from a pile of soft cushions. By and by, she gave up doing even that, and people in the palace spoke with low voices, and even Gearlog and Grithari trod gently and moved quietly when they drew near her room. At length, one morning, they were sent for by the king himself, who, his eyes red with weeping, told them that the queen 
was dead. Great was the sorrow of the two children, for they had loved the queen very dearly, and life seemed dull without her. But the lady-in-waiting who took care of them in the tower, which had been built for them while they were still babies, was kind and good. And when the king was busy or away in other parts of his kingdom, she made them quite happy, and saw that they were taught everything that a prince and princess ought to know. Thus, two or three years passed, when, one day, as the children were anxiously awaiting their father's return from a distant city, there rode post-haste into the courtyard of the palace a herald whom the king had sent before him to say that he was bringing back a new wife. Now, in itself, there was nothing very strange or dreadful in the fact that the king should marry again. But, as the old lady-in-waiting soon guessed, the queen, in spite of her beauty, was a witch. And as it was easy to see that she was jealous of everyone who might gain power over her husband. It boded ill for Girlag and Grethari. The faithful woman could not sleep for thinking about her charges, and her soul sank when, a few months after the marriage, war broke out with a country across the seas, and the king rode away at the head of his troops. Then there happened what she had so long expected. One night, when, unlike her usual habit, she was sleeping soundly, afterwards she felt sure that a drug had been put into her food, the witch came to the tower. Exactly what she did there no one knew. But when the sun rose, the beds of Grethari and Girlog were empty. At dawn, the queen summoned some of her guards and told them that she had been warned in a dream that some evil fate would befall her through a wild beast, and bade them go out and kill every animal within two miles of the palace. But the only beasts they found were two black foals of wondrous beauty, fitted for the king's riding. It seemed a pity to kill them, for what harm could two little foals do anyone? So, they let them run away, frisking over the plain, and returned to the palace. Did you see nothing, really nothing? asked the queen when they again appeared before her. 
Nothing, your majesty, they replied. But the queen did not believe them, and when they were gone, she gave orders to her steward that at supper the guards should be well plied with strong drink, so that their tongues should be loosened, and further that he was to give heed to their babble and report to her whatever they might let fall. Your majesty's commands have been obeyed, said the steward, when late in the evening he begged admittance to the royal apartments. But, after all, the men have told you the truth. I listened to their talk from beginning to end, and nothing did they see save two black foals. He might have added more, but the look in the queen's blazing eyes terrified him, and bowing hastily, he backed quickly out of her presence. In a week's time, the king came home, and right glad were all the courtiers to see him. Now, perhaps, she will find someone else to scream at whispered they amongst themselves. She was the queen, who had vented her rage on her attendants during these days, though what had happened to make her so angry, nobody knew. But whatever might be the meaning of it, things would be sure to improve with the king to rule in the palace instead of his wife. Unfortunately, their joy only lasted for a short while. For the very first night after the king's arrival, the queen related the evil dream she had dreamt in his absence, and begged him to go out the next morning and kill every living creature he saw within two miles of the city. The king, who always believed everything the queen said, promised to do as she wished. But before he had ridden through the lovely gardens that surrounded the palace, he was attracted by the singing of two little blue birds, perched on a scarlet-buried holly, which made him think of everything beautiful that he had ever heard of or imagined. Hour after hour passed by, and still the birds sang, and still the king listened, though of course he never guessed that it was Girlog and Grathari whose notes filled him with enchantment. At length, Darkness fell, the birds' voices were hushed, and the king awoke with a start to find that for that day his promise to the queen could not be kept. Well, did you see anything? she asked eagerly when the king entered her apartments. Ah, my dear, 
I am almost ashamed to confess to you. But the fact is that before I rode as far as the western gate, the singing of two strange little bluebirds made me forget all else in the world. And you will hardly believe it, but not until it grew dark did I remember where I was and what I should have been doing. However, tomorrow morning nothing shall hinder me from fulfilling your desires. There will be no tomorrow, muttered the queen, as she turned away with a curious glitter in her eyes. But the king did not hear her. That night, the king gave a great supper in the palace, in honor of the victory he had gained over the enemy. The three men whom the queen had sent forth to slay the wild beasts held positions of trust in the household, for to them was committed the custody of the queen's person. And on the occasion of a feast, their places were always next to that of the king. So, it was easy for the queen to scatter a slow but fatal poison in their cups without anyone being the wiser. Before dawn, the palace was roused by the news that the king was dead and that the three officers of the guards were dying also. Of course, nobody's cries and laments were as loud as those of the queen. But when once the splendid funeral was over, she gave out that she was going to shut herself up in a distant castle till the year of mourning was over, and after appointing a regent of the kingdom, she set out attended only by a maid who knew all her secrets. Once she had left the palace, she quickly began to work her spells, to discover under what form Girlog and Grithari lay hidden. Happily, the princess had studied magic under a former governess, so was able to fathom her stepmother's wicked plot, and hastily changed herself into a whale, and her foster brother into its fin. Then the queen took the shape of a shark and gave chase. For several hours, a fierce battle raged between the whale and the shark. First, one of the combatants got the better, and then the other. But at length, it became plain to the crowd of little fishes gathered round to watch that the victory would be to the whale. And so it was. But when, after a mighty struggle, the shark floated dead and harmless on the surface of the water. The whale 
was so exhausted that she had only strength enough to drag her body into a quiet little bay. And for three days she remained there, as still and motionless as if she had been dead herself. At the end of the three days, her wounds were healed, and she began to think what it was best to do. Let us go back to your father's kingdom, she said to Grithari, when they had both resumed their proper shapes and were sitting on a high cliff above the sea. How clever you are! I should never have thought of that, answered Grithari, who, in truth, was not clever at all. But Girlog took a small box of white powder from her dress and sprinkled some over him and some over herself. And quicker than lightning, they found themselves in the palace grounds from which Grithari had been carried off by the dragon so many years before. Now, take up the band with the golden letters and bind it about your forehead, said Girlog, and go boldly up to the castle. And remember, however great may be your thirst, you must drink nothing till you have first spoken to your father. If you do, ill will befall us both. Why should I be thirsty? replied Grithari, staring at her in astonishment. It will not take me five minutes to reach the castle gate. Girlog held her peace, but her eyes had in them a sad look. Goodbye, she said at last, and she turned and kissed him. Grithari had spoken truly when he declared that he could easily get to the castle in five minutes. At least no one could have dreamed that it could possibly take any longer. Yet, to his surprise, the door, which stood so widely open that he could see the color of the hangings within, never appeared to grow any nearer, while each moment the sun burned more hotly and his tongue was parched with thirst. I don't understand what can be the matter with me, and why haven't I reached the castle long ago, he murmured to himself, as his knees began to knock under him with fatigue and his head to swim. For a few more paces, he staggered on blindly, when suddenly the sound of rushing water smote upon his ears, and in a little wood that bordered the path, he beheld a stream 
falling over a rock. At this sight, his promise to Girlog was forgotten. Fighting his way through the brambles that tore his clothes, he cast himself down beside the fountain, and seizing the golden cup that hung from a tree, he drank a deep draught. When he rose up, the remembrance of Girlog and of his past life had vanished, and instead something stirred dimly within him at the vision of a white-haired man and woman who stood in the open door with outstretched hands. Grathari, Grathari, so you have come home at last, cried they. For three hours, Girlog waited in the spot where Grithari had left her, and then she began to understand what had happened. Her heart was heavy, but she soon made up her mind what to do, and pushing her way out of the wood, she skirted the high wall that enclosed the royal park and gardens, till she reached a small house where the forester lived with his two daughters. Do you want a girl to sweep and to milk the cows? asked she when one of the sisters answered her knock. Yes, we do, very badly. And as you look strong and clean, we will take you for a servant if you like to come, replied the young woman. But first, what is your name? Laupertha, said Girlog quickly, for she did not wish anyone to know who she was. And following her new mistress into the house, she begged to be taught her work without delay. And so clever was she that by and by, it began to be noised abroad that the strange girl who had come to live in the forester's house had not her equal in the whole kingdom for skill as well as beauty. Thus the years slipped away, during which Girlog grew to be a woman. Now and then, she caught glimpses of Grathari as he rode out to hunt in the forest. But when she saw him coming, she hid herself behind the great trees, for her heart was still sore at his forgetfulness. One day, however, when she was gathering herbs, he came upon her suddenly before she had time to escape. Though as she had stained her face and hands with mud and covered her beautiful hair with a scarlet cap, he did not guess her to be his foster sister. What is your name, pretty maiden? asked he. Laupertha, answered the girl with a low curtsy. 
Ah, it is you, then, of whom I have heard so much, said he. You are too beautiful to spend your life serving the forester's daughters. Come with me to the palace, and my mother, the queen, will make you one of her ladies in waiting. Truly, that would be a great fortune, replied the maiden. And if you really mean it, I will go with you. But how shall I know you are not jesting? Give me something to do for you, and I will do it, whatever it is, cried the young man eagerly. And she cast down her eyes and answered, Go to the stable, and bind the calf that is there, so that it shall not break loose in the night and wander away. For the forester and his daughters have treated me well, and I would not leave them with aught of my work still undone. So Grithari set out for the stable where the calf stood, and wound the rope about its horns. But when he had made it fast to the wall, he found that a coil of the rope had twisted itself round his wrist. And pull as he might, he could not get free. All night he wriggled and struggled till he was half dead with fatigue. But when the sun rose, the rope suddenly fell away from him, and very angry with the maiden, he dragged himself back to the palace. She is a witch, he muttered crossly to himself, and I will have no more to do with her. And he flung himself on his bed and slept all day. Not long after this adventure, the king and queen sent their beloved son on an embassy to a neighboring country to seek a bride from amongst the seven princesses. The most beautiful of all was, of course, the one chosen, and the young pair took ship without delay for the kingdom of the prince's parents. The wind was fair, and the vessel so swift that in less time than could have been expected, the harbor nearest the castle was reached. A splendid carriage had been left in readiness close to the beach, but no horses were to be found, for every one had been carried off to take part in a great review which the king was to hold that day in honor of his son's marriage. I can't stay here all day, said the princess crossly, when Grithari told her of the plight they were in. I am perfectly worn out as it is, you will have to find something to draw the carriage, if it is only a donkey. If you don't, I will sail straight 
back to my father. Poor Grithari was much troubled by the words of the princess. Not that he felt so very much in love with her, for during the voyage she had shown him several times how vain and bad-tempered she was. But as a prince and a bridegroom, he could not, of course, bear to think that any slight had been put upon her. So he hastily bade his attendants to go in search of some animal and bring it at once to the place at which they were waiting. During the long pause, the princess sat in the beautiful golden coach, her blue velvet mantle powdered with silver bees drawn closely round her, so that not even the tip of her nose could be seen. At length, a girl appeared, driving a young ox in front of her, followed by one of the prince's messengers, who was talking eagerly. Will you lend me your ox, fair maiden? asked Grithari, jumping up and going to meet them. You shall fix your own price, and it shall be paid ungrudgingly, for never before was a king's son in such a plight. My price is seats for me and my two friends, behind you and your bride at the wedding feast, answered she. And to this, Grithari joyfully consented. Six horses would not have drawn the coach at the speed of this one ox. Trees and fields flew by so fast that the bride became quite giddy, and expected, besides, that they would be upset at every moment. But in spite of her fears, nothing happened, and they drew up in safety at the door of the palace, to the great surprise of the king and queen. The marriage preparations were hurried on, and by the end of the week, everything was ready. It was, perhaps, fortunate that the princess was too busy with her clothes and her jewels during this period to pay much heed to Grithari, so that by the time the wedding day came round, he had almost forgotten how cross and rude she had been on the journey. The oldest men and women in the town agreed that nothing so splendid had ever been seen as the bridal procession to the great hall, where the banquet was to be held before the ceremony was celebrated in the palace. The princess was in high good humor, feeling that all eyes were upon her, and bowed and smiled right and left. Taking the prince's hand, she sailed proudly down the room, where the guests were already assembled, to her place 
at the head of the table by the side of the bridegroom. As she did so, three strange ladies in shining dresses of blue, green, and red glided in and seated themselves on a vacant bench immediately behind the young couple. The red lady was Geerlog, who had brought with her the forester's daughters, and in one hand she held a wand of birch bark, and in the other a closed basket. Silently they sat as the feast proceeded. Hardly anyone noticed their presence, or if they did, supposed them to be attendants of their future queen. Suddenly, when the merriment was at its height, Geerlog opened the basket, and out flew a cock and a hen. To the astonishment of everyone, the birds circled about in front of the royal pair the cock plucking feathers out of the tail of the hen, who tried in vain to escape from him. Will you treat me as badly as Grithari treated Geerlog? cried the hen at last. And Grithari heard, and started up wildly. In an instant, all the past rushed back to him. The princess by his side was forgotten, and he only saw the face of the child with whom he had played long years ago. Where is Geerlog? he exclaimed, looking round the hall, and his eyes fell upon the strange lady. With a smile, she held out a ring which he had given her on her twelfth birthday, when they were still children, without a thought of the future. You and none other shall be my wife, he said, taking her hand and leading her into the middle of the company. It is not easy to describe the scene that followed. Of course, Nobody understood what had occurred, and the king and queen imagined that their son had suddenly gone mad. As for the princess, her rage and fury were beyond belief. The guests left the hall as quickly as they could so that the royal family might arrange their own affairs and in the end it was settled that half the kingdom must be given to the despised princess instead of a husband. She sailed back at once to her country, where she was soon betrothed to a young noble, whom, in reality, she liked much better than Grithari. That evening, Grithari was married to Geerlog, and they lived happily ever after, and made all their people happy as well.
night.